0: Good. i tell you what, I have come ready. And just a quick comment on the accent. This is how they talk in heaven. So in case you're wondering. <laughs> Seriously, because it's all nations, every tribe tongue. So I'm sure it sounds a lot like this. But anyways, no, I was born in England and raised there till I was 16. And I always used to say born and raised. And I moved to Texas and they said born and reared, which is new for me. Because in English you raise children and rear cattle. But apparently, Texas, they rear everything. So anyways... I was born and raised in England, um, encountered the power of God when I was six years old. And we were going to a church that loved the Lord, preached the gospel, um, just a small little church of a particular denomination, which I'll do my best not to say, because I don't want to offend anybody, but we stopped at, at the born-again experience. But that's not where the Holy Spirit stops. Anyways, we'd heard that there were some meetings going on in London with an evangelist from Australia and that there was miracles and signs and wonders. And so we got on the train and we went right into London and um, went to these services. I mean, just about a mile or so from Buckingham Palace, right across the street from the Houses of Parliament. And when he was praying for the sick, there was this lady who had a deformed hand. And her hand grew out right in front of her eyes. And I don't mean it, it was arthritic. It was about half the size of her other hand. And her hand grew out right in front of her eyes. And my eyes got as big as saucers. And the next night we went back and when he was praying for the sick, I stood on one of the chairs so I could see what was going on. I was only six. I couldn't see over people's heads. There was about a thousand people there. To me it was like a coliseum. You know, there were 60 people in our church counting pregnant ladies twice. And so when he was praying for the sick that second night, I did something I hadn't done before because we didn't do this in my church. I closed my eyes and I raised my hands to heaven. First, And when I did that, God dropped a vision in my heart as clear as I could see you sitting in front of me. And I saw two things. First thing, I saw myself standing up there preaching the gospel and demonstrating the power of God. And I knew at that moment what I was called to do with my life. And I have never for a split second wanted anything else other than to travel the world and preach the gospel. I wanted nothing else. I can honestly stand before you. I didn't want to be a football player, race car driver, astronaut, fireman, anything else other than a preacher of the gospel. That was my little sliver of the pie that I saw. But I saw something so much bigger than me. I saw revival. And I didn't know it was revival at the time in the sense that I I didn't know that revival is two French words joined together. Re, which means again, and vivre, which means life. I didn't know that. I was six. I had not heard of glory or visitation or awakenings. I didn't know about any of that. But I could describe it then as clearly as I could describe it now with much more articulate words. And I saw the church on fire. And the amazing thing about God is He can speak a sentence and write a book. And in that one moment, he tattooed the word revival on my heart. You know, he says, I'll write my word on your heart. And he did it that day. And he branded me with a desire to see with my physical eyes what I saw with the eyes of my spirit. And what I saw was the church on fire and the nations coming to Christ. See, the Bible says in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But, everyone say but. But the Lord shall arise upon you, and his light shall be seen on you, and Gentiles will come to that light, and kings to the brightness of that rising. And that has become the passion of my heart, is to see that light shine on the church. Because what I saw was the light of the gospel and the power of God shining down. I felt the atmosphere, it was like it was crackling with the anointing. You could could feel it. I mean, it was so easy. The miracles were so easy. The Bible says, with God, nothing is impossible. And when God walks in a room, the impossible not only becomes possible, it becomes probable. It becomes likely. See, one of the things I've discovered about the miraculous is this. And just, just a little side thought here for a minute, but... Sometimes when you experience or you see a, a major miracle, I mean by major miracle, I mean a paralyzed person walking out of a wheelchair, not staggering, I mean properly walking, or a blind person now reading the words on the screen, you you would imagine that it would be so awe-inspiring, but it's not. And that struck me the first time I ever saw or, or thought this. I remember I was 16 years old. I was living in Eastern Europe as a missionary. And there was a girl, I wasn't praying for her, someone else was praying, and her spine went like an S. Just, I mean, I forget what the what the illness is it. Would it be scoliosis, something like that? And her spine just went straightened right up. Her shoulders, her back, everything about her. And I was saying, Well, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And it wasn't until I got back to my room afterwards, I thought, John, that was unbelievable. And you were standing at the back saying, you know, hallelujah. I mean, you would think at that moment I'd be doing cartwheels and that would be a big thing for me. Or, or you know, I mean, just jumping and screaming. And, and I prayed about it and I said, Lord, why did it seem so normal? And I felt God say, because I did it. Because God did it. When God walks in the room, the impossible not only seems very possible, it seems probable. And so for a huge, great, strong man to lift a bucket of water, it's no big thing. I forgot to come and heal that person's spine. And that desire to see the presence of God and for the church on fire has become the driving passion of my life. So I refuse to settle for apathy or complacency or lukewarmness or ordinary. I'm not going to do that. I just, it's just It's never going to happen. I want to share something with you today that the, that the Spirit of God has just been stirring in me. In fact, I woke up quite early this morning and I, I had this wonderful set of messages planned and I felt the Holy Spirit say, No, go a different direction. And one of the things I like to do whenever I go into an area, I always like to get there a little early. I need to drive around if it's that kind of place or walk around if it's that sort of place and just kind of get a just a feel and 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 kind of touch people and talk to people and, and I like to get into service ahead of time. I like to be there in the praise and worship and talk to people and you something kinda of begins to stir in you. As I've been walking around being in the States now for the last I don't know, five days. I came here on Monday, so six days. I am convinced, more than I've ever been convinced before, that the church right now is experiencing very intense spiritual warfare. Thank you for your murmuring. I'm going to say it again because it needs to be bigger than that. I am convinced the church is experiencing intense spiritual warfare. It's coming and hitting us and going on at every single side and at every single way. And one of the biggest deceptions about it is we're not even aware. We're not even aware. So I kind of want to send you out on a spiritual mission. You get more of this as the service goes on. But if you know anyone that is experiencing spiritual warfare right now, and this is not a seat-filling exercise. I didn't come here to fill seats. I came here to fill your heart. I give you my word on that. This is not a seat-filling exercise. However, if you know anyone that is experiencing spiritual warfare and will see what it is as the service goes on, then you need to call them and say Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, any or all of the above, they need to be here because I believe this has the potential to be life-transforming for them and in their life. And I believe one of those people also is you. And I say that without reservation and without hesitation. I believe this can be massively impacting for you and for me too. Spiritual warfare can take many forms. It can affect your marriage, big time. It can affect your parenting. It can affect your health. It can affect finances. Some of those things we're a little more aware of, but spiritual warfare can also bring a spiritual lethargy. When you find a spiritual lethargy coming on yourself, on your church, on a region, a place that used to be a blaze and isn't anymore. It is spiritual warfare. Everyone say spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare will entice you to debate rather than embrace the move of God. Come on, say ouch. This was stirring in me the last few days. To debate rather than embrace the move of God. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to the river and drink. He didn't say let him come to the river and think. And if you are content to stand at the edge of the move of God and think about it, you are experiencing spiritual warfare. It's a deception. I don't know if this is going to be popular or not, but I'm I'm sorry. I'm not going to hold back. And here's the thing about spiritual warfare. It tends to come in waves. Or more specifically, it comes in like a flood. And the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. In fact, turn there if you will, please. Have a look over there or you might have it on your screen. Have a peek at your device, whatever it might be. But spiritual warfare tends to come in waves, again, more specifically like a flood. And one of the most problematic aspects of spiritual warfare is deception. And the biggest deception is that flesh and blood is your problem. Can I tell you something? Flesh and blood is not your problem. One of the most problematic aspects of spiritual warfare is deception. And the deception is this, that flesh and blood is your problem. And as long as you think flesh and blood is your problem, you are fighting the wrong fight. And you will spend your whole life snipping the fruit off of a tree. And wondering why does it keep growing back? And why does it keep happening again? And you run around and you snip the fruit off. And you get everything sorted out for a little while. But then the next year, here it comes growing again. It's because we don't deal with the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is spiritual. And so Satan will have the world say, this is the problem right now. Or he is the problem. Or she is the problem. Or that people group are the problem. Or this church is the problem. Or money is the problem. But actually, the issue is spiritual. The root cause and the root problem is spiritual. Until we see that, we're going to spend our whole life frustrated and never really dealing with the root of the problem. And so we will keep fighting over and over and over again the same issues, although it might come through a different person or manifest in a slightly different form, but we're going to be fighting the same issues because we never deal with the problem. Amen? Your problem is spiritual first and people second. So as long as you are blaming someone else for your problem, institution, organization, government, person, spouse, pastor, me, right now you're thinking, John, you're my problem. Well, maybe, but I'm not. (laughs) And as long as you're content to blame someone else for your problem, Satan will just sit back and say, got him. Got him. And you can spend your whole life running around fighting flesh and blood when the Bible says the battle is not flesh and blood, but it's principalities, powers, spirits of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, of course, we understand when it comes to spiritual warfare, there are two ditches. One ditch on the one side. And for every one mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. We understand that. And the only time most Christians are walking down the middle of the road is when we're crossing it from one ditch to the other. So let's not be that. And of course, you're well aware what the two ditches of spiritual warfare are. One ditch is this, that everything is a demon. Everything. I mean, just everything is demonic. Everything's a demon. The fact that you're in debt has nothing to do with the fact that you spent too much money and that you're earning a dollar and you're spending a dollar and five cents. That's not the problem. The problem's the devil. No. No, the devil doesn't exist. He doesn't do anything. There's no spiritual warfare. It's all just kind of academic. If we just have better leadership skills, if we, if we got a better degree, if we, if we were married to someone else, nothing's demonic. Church is just, you know, it's just the day that we're living in today, and things have changed a bit. And so, either ditch, Satan's happy for us. When we start walking down the middle of the road, understanding what the Bible says, that truth will set you free. And if there's one thing Satan hates, it's freedom, because freedom is a manifestation of the Spirit of the Lord, and bondage is a manifestation of Satan. And the Spirit of the Lord will bring freedom every time, including to you this week. Now, flesh and blood may be being used, but the root is spiritual. And the reason why this is important is this. A, we need to stop fighting with flesh and blood. And B, if you deal with the flesh and blood, Satan will just put someone else in their place. But when you lay an axe to the root of the tree, that thing can't grow again. And we need to lay some axes to the root of some trees that we've been just snipping off the fruit to. Amen? But the Bible says this. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. Have you found it yet? Awesome. It says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. I guess that's the east. Sun rises in the east and sets in the west, right? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. So the enemy comes in like a flood, but the Bible says it's the Spirit of the Lord that raises up a standard against him. So how does the Holy Spirit raise up a standard against the enemy? And when Satan floods in, how does he raise up? What does he do? Number one thing he does this is he gives revelation of the Word. Because it's the truth that will set you free. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit will do when Satan is coming in like a flood is he will open your eyes to show you things in the word that you haven't seen. Because that is your main source of freedom. The Bible says His Word is a light for our feet and a lamp for our path. It shines into the situation. It brings illumination. It brings revelation. It helps you see what the problem is and you can deal with it. Because there's nothing more frustrating than trying to fight an enemy that you can't see. And you know He's there. And you know what's going on. But you don't know which way to punch. You don't know which way to fight. And you're the blind leading the blind. And you trip and you stumble because you're walking in darkness. And so the Holy Spirit brings revelation. Number one thing He's going to do, and He's going to start it today, is give us, you and me, revelation of the Word. Because when we begin to see what the Bible says, that's immediately our victory begins. Because we can start to see what we're fighting against. He gives you insight into what's going on behind the scenes. The things that your eye hasn't seen and your ear hasn't heard, but it's still out there. Now, again, not everything is spiritual. Some things are just poor decisions. But I want to talk. I want to start talking this morning. I want to talk five truths about spiritual warfare. Everyone look at me, eyeball to eyeball, and say this. Say, sock it to me, baby. Okay, you said it. I believe I will. Number one thing we've got to understand about spiritual warfare is this. We've got to get this. There is an invisible realm that is just as real as the physical world. Can I say that again? The invisible realm is just as real as the physical world. You cannot see it, but it's as real as the chair that you're sitting on. See, I don't know about that. Question, people couldn't see bacteria. They couldn't see viruses, electricity, natural gas, carbon monoxide, oxygen, radio waves. We can't see any of those things, but they're there. They're just as real, and they're there. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, please. Let's have a quick look at this. 2 Kings chapter 6. And verse 6. No, sorry, verse 15. 2 Kings 6, verse 15. Is everyone still okay? Good. This is going to help us this week. And it's going to release some things in this place, which will be very exciting. Um, So here's Elijah. Oh, sorry, Elisha and his servant Gehazi. And the situation is this. The king of, I believe it's Syria, was trying to attack Israel. And every time he came against them, they were ready. The armies were ready. And so, he got, so they came at night, and they were waiting for them at night. They weren't sleeping. He came at lunchtime. They were waiting for them at lunchtime. They weren't eating. And so he began to realize that somehow Israel knew what was going on and what their plans were. And so he came to the natural conclusion that you and I would come to, that there was clearly a mole or a leak in his inner council, and so he needed to plug that leak and so that they could attack um, Israel. And so he gathered all his advisors and his counselors and his um, uh, wizards and whatever they call, some, not, that's not the right word, what was the word they used? Uh, like spiritualist people baddies, gathered them all together and, and said, okay, sorcerers. We're not leaving this room until we discover who the leak is. Where's the mole? And it wasn't going to go well for that person. And so finally one of them plucked up the courage and says, oh king, it's not us. There's a prophet in Israel. His name is Elisha. And he, by the spirit of God, sees what we're talking about. And he goes and tells the king. And then the king gets ready. And so the conclusion was that we need to get Elisha. So they send the whole army to get Elisha. And so here they come down. And Elisha and his servant Gehazi wake up one morning, and Gehazi gets out, goes out of the tent, stretches, looks around, and he sees that the hillside around them is full of chariots and horses. The whole Syrian army had come to get them. And so he goes into panic mode, as you probably would, runs back in the tent and says, Elisha, what are we going to do? They're, we're surrounded. And Elisha says, what to Gehazi was unhelpful, he said, there's more with us than with them. And Gehazi's thinking, no, sir, honestly, wake up. You're not dreaming. Wake up. I'm telling you, I've just been outside. The whole army's here. And Elisha says, no, 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 more with us than was with, with them. And Elisha says this, Lord, I ask you, open his eyes that he may see. Now, notice Elisha didn't say open our eyes that we may see. Elisha didn't need his eyes open. They already were open. He already knew what was out there. There are some of you in here, you already know what's out there. You already know what's going on. Other of us, I'm praying, Lord, open our eyes that we may see. And the Lord opened his eyes, Gehazi's eyes, and behold, the whole, uh, the whole area was full of chariots of fire and horses of fire. And actually, the Syrian army was surrounded. Question, when did the chariots of fire and horses of fire appear? Did, did God listen to what Elisha said and said, oh, shoot, we need to get busy. We better back this guy up or else He's going to look like a fool. Quick, g- get some angels. Get some chariots. Quick, get down there before I open his eyes. No, no, no. They were already there with him all the time. It's just there came that moment when Gehazi, I saw it. My friends, there are things that are already, there's a lot more in this room than just you and me. There are angels in this room. A lot more angels than demons, but there might be a demon or two hanging on your shoulder. I don't think it's going to stay very long, but there's more in this room than you realize. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3-5, through 5, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not natural. Everyone say weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. It says, but they are mighty through God, and they pull down strongholds. There are spiritual weapons. We understand physical weapons, but they're spiritual weapons. You can't see them, but they're real. One of them is the sword of the spirit. That's a good one. Some of the bad ones are the fiery darts of the wicked one. The Bible talks about the shield of faith. There are weapons that you and I have. They are just as real as the chair you're sitting on, but you can't see them. And we need to understand, number one thing about spiritual warfare is this. There is an invisible realm that is just as real as the physical realm. And if we live our whole life with no awareness, no perception of the spiritual realm, we will be frustrated and defeated, and we are like the blind walking, uh, leading the blind. We have eyes, but we don't see. We have ears, but we don't hear. And so we are constantly dealing with what's not the problem. And if we can begin to realize what the problem is and start dealing with it, we can see change. Change is a good thing. When things that have been going badly start going well, that's a good thing. And we need to deal with some spiritual issues. See, there is a material world and there's a spiritual world. There's a visible and an invisible world. And there are realities occurring in the invisible world and there are realities occurring in the, what was the last one I said? Visible. Invisible. So there are, there are certain things which go on in the physical world. There are certain things happening. There's also things. And in the spiritual world. And so it played out like this in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 10 through 13. Many of you are familiar with this. This is Daniel praying. And he was praying uh, about a problem in the the area that he was and what was going on in the city. And he, he got on his knees and he prayed and he said, and he was crying out to God and he fasted and he ate no pleasant bread. This is where the Daniel fast comes from. Not the Daniel diet, but still the Daniel fast that many people do at the start of the year where they eat no pleasant bread. And Daniel's doing all this. And as he's praying, it says this in Daniel chapter 10, verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And he said to me, Daniel, don't fear for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Daniel was praying. He was praying for revival. But the angel of the Lord came and said, But the prince of Persia is talking about an evil spirit, withstood me. So, there was an answer which was coming his way, but there was a spiritual problem. My friend, there are things that God wants to do in this nation. There are things that God wants to do in this city, in this church, in your life. But there are princes, spiritual demonic powers that are hovering over this place. It's spiritual warfare. And they are stopping the answer and the plan of God from getting to you. And unless we realize that, We will be very, very, very frustrated because we're trying to sort out by moving this and changing that and doing the other and voting this person in or or having that event or getting that new job. We're trying to sort out uh, by snipping off fruit off of a tree, not realizing actually there's a different problem. But once we deal with that different problem, all of a sudden the answer comes. We need to learn how to deal with that problem. No, the goal is that we change some things. The goal is that we do some spiritual warfare and that the atmosphere is different by the time I leave than it was when I got here. Amen? That's why I've come. I haven't come to impress you. I haven't come to excite you. I haven't come to scratch your itching ears. I haven't come for you to say, what a nice young man. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to effect change. And I believe the Spirit of God has sent me for that purpose. And I say that with boldness. Not thinking of myself more highly than I ought, but very confident in what God has placed in my heart. His word is like fire shut up in my bones. We have got to realize there is a spiritual realm. We are involved in an invisible war. That's number two. We are involved in an invisible war. And you're in it whether you like it or not. Here's the trouble. We've had a lot of teaching over the years, and it's good, and it's great, and especially here in America. It's it's highly in vogue, but a lot of teaching about um, all the blessings that God wants to bring our lives, and that's true. I believe in that 100%. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. We've had a lot of teaching about that. We've had a lot of teaching about how God wants no disrespect to the the book with that title. I mean, just it's going to be awesome now, and all of these things are true. But I believe we've misunderstood this. The context in which we live is the context of a battleground, not a playground. And so, yes, God does and will do all these things in our lives. But you and I live on a battleground and we are woefully unaware, completely unaware of that. And that's just fine by Satan because you'll be fighting the wrong thing and bumping into the wrong enemy and thinking who's been just showed, thrown off of the celebrity island is more important than what God's Word has to say. And who Britney Spears is dating today is more significant than hearing the Word of the Lord, which is the truth that will set you free. And I've got nothing against celebrity Bake Off or whatever it is or, or Britney Spears. Or, but, and we're running after false finish lines. And, And all the while, the church is dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. I don't just mean numbers. Satan's not worried about us having big numbers. I'm talking about power. I'm talking about impact. I'm talking about where are the people that can stand in a city and command rain to start, and it starts raining. Where are the Elijahs of God that will stand in front of the prophets of Baal and call down fire? Where are the people that can look at a broken person and say, in the name of Jesus, and that broken person be fixed? Where's that? We have a form of godliness, but we're denying the power. And we think the problem is this, that, and the other. It's spiritual. We are in intense spiritual warfare. I've been familiar with this nation for about 20 years. 24 years, 23, thereabouts, long time. But I come and go a lot too. And so it's a little bit like watching a child grow up. Um, in the sense that what I mean by that is, you know, when you're with your child every day, you don't notice that they're growing. My son, Levi, he's 12. doesn't seem like he's growing to me. In fact, I keep saying, son, eat more. But other people come and haven't seen him for years say, man, he's grown. Look at him. He's huge. And I'm thinking, really? Well, when you come in and out, you get a different perspective. My friend, there is a spiritual apathy that is coming on this nation like a blanket. I mean, like a Blanket. And we have got to do something about it. And the problem is spiritual. We are involved in an invisible war. And we're involved in a cosmic conflict that has eternal complications. I know we read this, but just turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, please. I'll be closed here in just a few minutes. Today, I'm just wanting to set a little bit of a a groundwork. Ephesians chapter 6. Again, the goal of this week is not just to give you information. The goal of this week is to make a change to the spiritual atmosphere. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says this For our struggle, it will say our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We are in a struggle, we are in a battle. Question Where is that battle? Primarily, where is that battle? Who says? in our hearts? Anyone else? Go. Where is that battle? Skies? Is it? Is it mines? Someone else said mines? It's in the atmosphere. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter ten. We'll see this. We'll answer it. Second Corinthians chapter ten. Let me say this: the battleground for this in- invisible war is largely between your ears. It's the mind. It's the battle in your mind for your thoughts. See, the Bible describes Satan as the father of lies. Describes him as the deceiver. He's an accuser. He casts doubt. Remember Eve? Eve was minding her own business, having a very nice day. And then Satan came and wafted an apple her way. Must have been a very nice looking apple or whatever form of fruit it was. And questioned what God had said to her. And she fell for it. And she ate the fruit. And she sinned. He tried the same thing with Jesus. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 3 was baptized. of John in the water. And the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying. There's a little Bible trivia. What did, what did the voice come from heaven saying? This is... This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit of God came and rested on his shoulder like a dove and took him into the wilderness. And Jesus was there in the wilderness for 40 days. The next words he heard were when Satan came to him and said, If you be the Son of God. Jesus, in effect, said, What do you mean, if? Where would the if come from? At that moment Satan knew he was dealing with someone very different to the first Adam. Cuz the first Adam fell for the if. And the second Adam said what if? What do you mean if I be the son of God? God just said, "This is my son." Where does the if come from? We do this all the time. God's word says, "And we have the if." Well, you know, if God doesn't do that and well, if in our culture today, and I know God's word says but, and we put the ifs and the buts in there. My friend, that is the primary place of spiritual warfare. And when you and I get to the point where we say, God's word says it, and I will believe it, I will think this way, I will act this way, I will do this way, that truth will set you 100% free. But when compromise to the Word begins to come in, individually or corporately. Well, I know the Bible says this. I know God wants to do, and I see this. But, you know, we don't want to upset somebody. So we're not not going to pray boldly for healing because you just, you know, spiritual warfare begins to come down like a cloud on you. And here's the problem. You get in a place where you forget. You stop seeing what the problem is. My friend, we're in that place. And we need to shine the spotlight of the Word. I wish this was like a, a massive great spotlight, and I kind of shine it. We're going to shine it in our hearts, and we're going to see some things. Some will excite us. Some will make us go, ouch. But the truth will make us free. Satan wants you to believe a set of lies. That's his biggest assignment against you. And the Bible says this. Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible, which says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It isn't so much about demonic manifestations and scary voices. Sometimes when we think of um, spiritual warfare, we think of a movie like Poltergeist or or um, The Exorcist, or which hopefully you haven't seen, but if you have, and you expect all of that, we're thinking, you know, people throwing things up in brown paper bags and screaming, and the devil will let you scream till your voice runs out, if, as long as you don't change your thinking. He'll let you throw everything up under the planet. He'll let you have all kinds of services. He'll let you go down in the Spirit. He'll let you, it, it doesn't bother him. But when you begin taking your thoughts captive and bringing them back into line with the Word of God, That's when panic sets in for him. It's not so much about demonic manifestations. It is about your thought life. And if you don't think this is a big deal, let me close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't think this is a big deal, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3. And if our gospel is hid, everyone say hid. It is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan has blinded their minds so they don't see Christ. We don't think this is a big deal, my friend. There are people that will not go to heaven for this very reason, that their minds are blinded. We say, oh, that's not me. I'm a born-again Christian. Amen to the fact you're a born-again Christian. But to the fact that there's things that we don't see, there's things we're going on that are going on we're not aware of, my friend, trust me. There are areas where our mind, our thinking, our understanding is blinded. But when God's Word shines in and we see what God says and we think that way, truth kicks in immediately. It kicks in immediately. Jesus battled these things also. Satan came to him and said, if you be the Son of God, do this. Well, if you're the Son of God, do that. And he responded immediately, no, but because the Word says. Yeah, because the Word says. And we stopped doing that. And the Bible says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And we put the sword back in our bags. And we're standing here, and Satan comes, and he says, yeah, but we'll do this. We say, well, I don't know, and you just kind (sighs) of having a tough day. Let me put it on Facebook, see how many likes I get. I'm going to do that. I'm going to to Facebook it. That would be a good idea. If I get 50 likes and and what's up, huns, and and you put, I'm having a tough day. Is everything okay? And, you know, are they being mean to you again? And and the sword's over there. And we don't even realize what's going on. And I'm not anti-Facebook, trust me. It's a great servant. It's just a terrible master. Great tool. Terrible sword. But when we come back and we say, "Yeah," because the word says, "But the word says," it will say that we say, "But the word says." Let's practice. Make sure we can do it. But the word says. So when a thought comes your way, what should we do? But the word says. When anxiety comes your way, what should we do? But the word says. When you see something going on contrary, what should we say? But the word says. When you start doing that, you are engaging in spiritual warfare. It's not exciting. It's not spiffy. It's not pizzazzy. It doesn't doesn't make the headlines, but it will bring so much freedom to your life. We see things coming to the body of Christ. But the Word says... And here's the thing, we're afraid that if we step into the but the word says realm, we're going to start getting all of these arrows fired against us. We may be. Elisha and Gehazi were surrounded by an army, but the chariots of fire and the horses of fire protected them. So in the will of God, they were safer than in a place of compromise if they just tried to go on and negotiate. There was no room for negotiation, but there was room for spiritual deliverance. My friend, there are things we cannot negotiate with. But if we will stand in God's word and say, but the word says. And there is a fear that has come on the church that if we stand in the truth of God's word, we will somehow make things worse. Or we will go down. Or... No, my friend, this is deception. This is what I'm trying to say. This is, spir- this is the spiritual warfare. That we don't even see what's going on. Wow. This is going to build and build and build over the next few days. I promise you this. We're going to see more and more and more. And at moments, ping, the light will come. But understand this, my friend. You are involved in an invisible war, whether you realize it or not. Do you ever get caught up in something you just really didn't want to be caught up in? Mm. I get that pastorally. Two people put you into conversation thinking, I just just didn't need... (laughs) I didn't need to be involved in it. I didn't want this. I didn't know. Go away. But it's too late. You're in it. You ever been just driving your car, minding your own business, and someone drives into the back of you, and you're thinking, I didn't need this today. But there it is. My friends, you are involved in an invisible war, whether you realize it or not. And you have an enemy. But that enemy is not flesh and blood. And so you can either continue in the frustration and the difficulty, and the struggles that you're having, or you can learn the truth, and let the truth make you free.